My UK property tour and this mini-season of diary-style podcasts is drawing to a close now, and it doesn't look like I'm going to return to Hong Kong with an HMO in my back pocket. But the aim is to get as close as I can, and to do that, I have a few meetings lined up over the next few days. My wife and I have just over two and a half years left to fully replace our incomes, and we'd be a lot closer if it wasn't for higher interest rates. You're listening to Expat Property Story, a podcast in which I share my story to smooth the way for you to have your own Expat Property Story. Welcome to episode 142 of Expat Property Story, the podcast for remote investors in UK property from all four corners of the globe. And I bet all of you would like to see lower interest rates. Can you honestly say that you saw interest rates climbing to where they are now? And if you'd stopped to think about it, wouldn't you concede that it was inevitable? But I think a lot of us are guilty of making our plans based on the way things are now, as opposed to how they could be. When I was working out how much money we would want, need or like when we returned to the UK, I based all my projections on how things were. I made our plans based on the assumption that each of our HMOs would give us a net cash flow of about £1,000 a month after corporation tax, but before income tax. The truth is, however, that as each five-year fix comes up for renewal, we'll be lucky to get that unless interest rates come down significantly. Yes, rents have and will increase, but so will maintenance costs. So the upshot of all this is that we're going to need more property, which has brought us to Derby. Day 11. Yesterday, I met a good lettings agent that we'll be happy to use once we've found some houses to buy. We've reversed engineered the process and he's given me a couple of hotspot maps where demand is high. And today, I'm meeting a sourcing agent. As with nearly all of the people I've arranged to meet in the last couple of weeks, we've met on Zoom while I was in Hong Kong. I guess that without really thinking about it, I've become quite adept at discovering people in unlikely places online, and I came across this saucer in a somewhat unconventional way. I was looking for architects in Derby, so I made a search for sui generis planning applications on the Derby City Council planning portal and came across a company who had carried out an HMO conversion from three beds to six beds, which can be done within permitted development. But they created a seventh bedroom, which is often referred to as a ghost room. So you leave the seventh room empty and then make a planning application for an extra person, because the sui generis planning use class is for more than six people, not more than six rooms. And then, once you've obtained planning permission for seven people, you can do what you like in terms of rooms and people within the general guidelines for space standards and amenities, etc. So that's how I came across this company. And when I did some more digging, I found their website, which had case studies and a video or two. And from there, I got in touch with them. Now, this sourcing agent actually offered me a property just a week or so before I set off for the UK. But it turns out, as it often does, that the same property had been offered to several people. And by the time I'd agreed to buy it, someone else had offered more and it was gone. So anyway, over the weekend, the saucer had sent me a deal. It was a three-bed terrace within the area that yesterday's letting agent had earmarked, and although the purchase price was pretty cheap, it didn't jump out as being a brilliant deal, mainly due to the 30k on the deal sheet for sourcing and project management. On the Monday, I don't really have time to analyse it properly during the day because of the meetings I've set up, so I asked for a couple of clarifications, thinking that if I'm not fast enough and I lose the deal, I won't really lose sleep over it. 
Over the next day or so, the sourcer sends me a few other deals. Now, when sourcers give you a deal pack, there's a few things you need to think about. Firstly, no matter how you look at it, they're selling you something. And so they're making it look as good as they can reasonably get away with. A good sourcer won't leave things out, like furniture or project management or VAT on the estimated build costs. Over the years, I've received lots of deal sheets, and even when I've been communicating with them over a period of time, not one has ever said, oh, by the way, you're an expat, so your stamp duty will be higher. And why would they? They want the numbers to look as good as possible. A good sourcing agent will have lots of people on their mailing list clamoring to get their deals because they know that they've delivered what they've said they'll deliver. So if you have a sourcing agent who gets their monthly cash flow prediction spot on, then you're onto a winner. But the only way to really assess whether a deal is a good deal for you is if you have your own deal analysis spreadsheet tailor-made to your own particular criteria and circumstances. So when a sourcer starts telling me about the expected ROCE or ROI or however they want to call it, it's totally irrelevant to me because they don't know or understand my finance costs or how I'm planning to buy the property. All I really need to know is what the property can achieve in terms of the number of rooms and the likely rental income for each room and how much the refurb will cost to get those rooms. Now, I know there's more to it than that, and I'll go into it all in more detail in a future episode, but I think that will do for now. So I run all of these deals through my Excel analyzer, and of all of them, the first one I'm sent turns out to be the most promising, despite the 30k fee for sourcing and project management. By this stage, it's Tuesday, the day of my originally scheduled meeting with the sourcer, so we can talk about it in person, which, as a long-time remote investor, is a first for me. After my usual battles with Google Maps and pay-as-you-go data, I really do need some mobile telecommunication education one of these days, we meet at a well-known coffee shop. You know, the one that doesn't pay its fair share of taxes. It turns out that my sourcing contact has actually teamed up with another sourcing agent, I guess so that they have a larger pool of clients to offer deals to. We decide to set up a Zoom call with the other sourcer and the two of them run me through their model. Because their model is based on development finance and that in fact the 30k incorporates not just project managing the build, but also all the legwork and coordination between solicitors, mortgage brokers, architects, RICS valuers, and the estate agent selling the property, and because it's a model that I haven't done before, it starts to make more sense. I think at this point, it might be worth talking about swing factors. Don't worry, folks, it's still a property podcast. Swing factors are the elements of a deal that have a degree of flexibility. They can be tweaked according to the particularities of a specific deal. So, for example, let's say you have established that you want your loan-to-value on refinance to be at 70%. Maybe because you want your monthly cash flow to be higher, or you want to de-risk the project for one reason or another. That's a swing factor. You could, for example, tweak it to 75% loan-to-value. Another example might be your refurb budget. Maybe the deal doesn't look like it would stack because the development costs are too high. I heard recently about someone who was looking at a deal, and on closer inspection of the EPC and the photos of the property in the marketing, it was established that the windows may not need replacing as they'd originally budgeted for. So by playing around and experimenting with these swing numbers or swing factors, you can kind of massage a deal into working. And that's what we do with this deal. 
After showing the sources that my deal criteria aren't quite being met, they tell me that they're being conservative with the rents that could be achieved, and they start looking for ways to potentially reduce the refurb budget. Now, I'm aware that the motivation of an average sourcer, or any salesperson in fact, is to sell the deal and then manage any disappointment further down the line. So it really does come down to your own judgment at the end of the day. The other thing that needs addressing is that this second sourcer, who would in fact be managing the whole project, is not someone I've come across before. I will need to do my due diligence, so I tell them that I'll give them an answer the following day. Join me tomorrow to see what I decide to do. Now, as you can imagine, releasing an episode every day for 14 days straight on top of an expat job and managing our growing portfolio is no easy task. So if you're enjoying this two-week mini-season, then I'd really appreciate a review, which you can do via the link in the show notes or at expatpropertystory.com. And to help us grow our community, then share the show to spread the word. You've been listening to Expat Property. Story.